Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And today is the day we're exploring genetics, specifically the factors that affect the expression of our genes to understand whether the genetics we're born with are the cause of our health problems. We'll be covering what we know about our genes, the factors that affect our genetic expression, what epigenetics is, genetic testing and what you need to know, and how you can influence your genes. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm Megan Telpner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. And joining me as always is Josh Gatalis. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Now, more than ever, regular people like you and me can obtain an unprecedented amount of information about our genetics that can reveal to us what health conditions or diseases may be lurking in our future. Or perhaps we know of diseases or conditions that run in the family and wonder if we got lucky or if it's coming our way. Is it our destiny and we just have to wait it out? Or is there something we can and should be doing to prevent the story that is written in our genetics? Those are all very interesting questions, Megan. You know, I have clients come into my clinic time and time again, and as I'm doing their intake and collecting all the information about their history, they kind of brush off their symptoms sometimes and say, oh, it's just my genes or it's in my family. Right. And so what really is in the family, the genes or the habits? That's something we are going to talk about. Genetics are kind of crazy. I have, well, we have a niece who looks just like me and also has a lot of personality tendencies that are very similar. She appropriately gets very upset when people call her little Megan. But it's really wild how genetics can get passed between within families. And I think so often now, because there's so many health conditions we're dealing with, it becomes a lot easier to just say, oh, well, it's genetic. And I think what I really want to share and empower people to know who are listening is it's not that clear cut. It's not that straightforward. And there is so much we can do to influence those genes. So let's dive in. The bottom line is why Megan and I are so interested in addressing this topic is because when you say it's in the genes, it takes the power away from you. Or the responsibility. And the responsibility, exactly. So when people understand that they are actually in control of their health, one, it's a big responsibility to take on. But also, and what's more important, is it empowers you. It makes you know that you actually can control your destiny. So what do we know so far as we record this in 2020 about our genes? Well, this whole discovery of genetic makeup and what it's all about began quite a few years ago with Watson and Crix. I think most people know that they discovered the DNA structure back in the 50s, early 50s. And this was a big turning point because we went into our cells. We went into the inside, the nucleus, and we saw this structure that had tremendous consequences to how our whole body worked. I wonder if everyone listening is currently picturing that that 
picture of the cell. Like who didn't have a quiz labeling the parts of the cell in like high school biology? And everyone knows the nucleus, the mitochondria, and of course the Golgi body. What's it called? (laughs) (laughs) The Golgi apparatus. Yeah, where you have to like label all the parts of the cell. We also had the same quiz in nutrition school. But uh, that that nucleus, that's like the power source of our cells. It contains all the DNA material. Yeah, it contains all the information. Right. It's like the book of the cell. It's like the book of the body. It's like the logo of your business. (laughs) And this DNA is just made up of four letters, really. Like that's how the whole genetic sequence is coded with these four letters. And there was another campaign called the Human Genome Project that was put into effect in in the late uh, 1990s to kind of map out what our sequence is as a human and how many genes there are. And in uh, 2000, they actually successfully completed this sequencing to the tune of like $3 billion, I think the government put into this. And what we're going to actually touch on a little bit later is that now that $3 billion has reduced substantially to about 100 to $200. There's companies that'll map your whole genetic sequence for you. Oh, right. I just want to clarify what you said. So at first it took $3 billion and now you can get it done for 100 bucks. It's a bargain. You might get it even cheaper if you find a Groupon. Just kidding. I don't think that, <laughs> I don't know if that still exists. But isn't it wild that like this just happened? Like this happened in our lifetime. This happened in our adulthood. Like this information is so new. But once it was discovered, it like progressed so rapidly that they're now cloning animals. Yeah, it is quite amazing. And we're still trying to unravel what everything means. So one of our first discoveries was that humans had 25,000 genes. But what's interesting is that a Pinot grape has 30,000 genes. So does that make the glass of wine that we drink smarter than us or more complex than us? We're actually if you were if you were a sommelier sipping that wine, you might say so. You might with all those notes. Megan, do you want to enlighten us on some of the notes and No, I'll I'll we just joke. There's some grapefruit and <laughs> and a little bit of ash. No, all wine tastes not good. something we're gonna get into here, but we're and we're also ninety-six percent identical to a chimp right? Our closest relatives. But what we've also discovered is that in our genetic makeup, there's these little mutations called single nucleotide polymorphisms. And the short form that's usually given to this are SNPs. SNPs. Uh, And there's 3 million of them. And that's what makes us such complex organisms with different traits and different metabolism and the way we respond to our environment differently. And that's what we're going to get into a little bit here because we actually have the ability to kind of turn on and turn off some of these genes. The ability we have to turn on or turn off certain genes or the expression of certain genes or affect the expression of these genes is what is known commonly as epigenetics. So just as mapping that genome is new, the understanding of epigenetics is also new. And the main premise of epigenetics is that, and ready for it, genes are not our destiny. So just because your mother had something and your grandmother had something, it doesn't necessarily mean you are automatically going to have the same thing. And there's a whole bunch of examples we can give from nature. Let's start there with how genetics are expressed or how the expression of genetics can change over a lifespan or through lifestyle. I spent some time with a beekeeper when I was at the Herbal Sanctuary And he really enlightened us on some of the key epigenetic influences on bees where 
when a hive is ready for a new queen bee, they just decide arbitrarily, okay, this bee is going to be our queen bee. And there's only one difference between a queen bee and every other worker bee in terms of how it becomes the queen bee. And that is that the queen bee gets royal jelly. That's why I get all the royal jelly in our household. <laughs> yes, you are the queen bee. You get the good <laughs> foods and I get all the scraps, the garburator. But this queen bee will live almost 30 times longer than the worker bees. She'll grow three times larger. And at the height of her fertility, she'll be laying 2,000 eggs per day. I and changed I, my mind. I don't want to be the queen bee. <laughs> <laughs> That's really Scratch her only that. job is to get knocked up by the worker bees and, and, and make the hive bigger. So, And the only difference is the royal jelly. So that royal jelly has this epigenetic effect. She has the same genes as every other bee in that hive, but they're being expressed completely different. She eats the royal jelly and that changes her genetic expression. Exactly. Another example, maybe a common one, is the butterfly. In the summertime at the cottage, there are so many caterpillars we see on the milkweed and they eat up all the milkweed and then form these cocoons and transform into butterflies, similar basically to humans where around the age of 10 or 13, 10 or 13, 12 or 13 optimally, there's children, it's happening sooner too due to the endocrine disruptors in our environment, but it's puberty. And that happens just as a part of our lifespan and time where our genetics begin to express themselves differently and we change our functions and appearance. We're the same genetic people, but we're expressing it completely differently. And there've also been experiments with mice where they give them a chow that's missing certain nutrients. And the ones that are missing what are called methylators, like B12 and folic acid, become morbidly obese. While the other mice eating the exact same chow with some of the nutrients all in there, don't get obese. So they're missing nutrients and they develop weight problems. Exactly. This is like a foreshadowing to our weight loss episode coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes. Can we talk about Accutane? Because this has had a longstanding history. Tons of people have been put on this and there's been tons of class action lawsuits because of what it is doing to people's health. Yeah, the reason why I got on this is because I've worked with a lot of people with Crohn's disease and inflammatory bowel diseases, also like colitis, but there have been class action lawsuits with Accutane related to it causing Crohn's disease. Accutane's an acne medication. Right. Very high dose synthetic vitamin A. When people go on Accutane, the effects of it don't just happen when they're on the medication but they last after they have stopped or discontinued that medication. So we've seen epigenetic effects also with drugs, both prescription and also recreational drugs. Another, and maybe our final example, is just how this epigenetics is so obvious in humans and how our lifestyle can affect it. And if you're not familiar with the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, he was a dentist that was looking into how indigenous diets affect the development of the jaw and the palate and the teeth. And he looked at twins, I believe it was predominantly in Australia, where he would look at indigenous cultures where there were twins, where one had been basically removed and put into cities or more modern society, and one remained within the indigenous culture eating the indigenous diet. And what he saw was 
amongst the the twins who went into a city environment with a modern high sugar, high refined diet developed dramatically more tooth decay and even disfigurement in the shape of the jaw where the jaw was too small to actually fit all the teeth. Perhaps this sounds familiar to what we're seeing now. Whereas people who stayed and ate the indigenous diet had a larger palate, the top of the mouth, room for all their teeth to grow straight and teeth that stayed strong and healthy. And again, the main difference, you know, amongst twins, they're typically genetically identical, but the way those genes were expressed were directly affected by eating a whole foods versus a processed foods diet. And I think this is a great moment to just pause for, for a sec and understand that when we do go back to our indigenous ways of living, what we're supposed to eat, how we're supposed to move, what we're supposed to be exposed to, it does actually by default help our genes express in the best way possible. So with all this testing and new genetic information, people are going to get hung up on trying to target specific genes based on their mutations. Right. It can also be very confusing because in 2020, there's so much emergence of cultures from around the world that it can be less clear on what our true indigenous diet should be based on the various makeup that makes us who we are today. Right. Like it's pretty obvious that the Inuit here in Canada that live in the deep north, the Arctic, should be eating, you know, whale and seal and polar bear and whatever else they eat in that environment that's very high in fat and protein to keep on the weight, to serve their genes. They've been doing that for hundreds of years. And this same indigenous culture is even more susceptible or they're, they're at higher risk of things like diabetes and alcohol addiction and sensitivity to sugar when they move into a more processed foods diet. Great point, Megan. You know, because it's such a further removal from what they're supposed to be consuming. Genetically speaking. Exactly. So let's look at the factors that can affect genetic expression. We talked about diet. So what you eat will affect how your genes express themselves. And the more we can stay closer, even if you don't know your indigenous diet and you know your family comes from all over the world to have made you who you are, if you can stick to food that comes from the ground and you eat it as close to that state as possible or that's raised on the ground or in the water as the case may be, but it's as unadulterated as possible, that's going to be your best bet as well as drinking clean water that is not loaded with pesticides and pharmaceuticals and microplastics. The, another key is, is your lifestyle. So again, living as close to nature as humans were intended is going to be really important. So getting lots of fresh air, being active, being outside versus where how we are today, where we're often in fluorescent lighting all day in very controlled artificial environments. So getting outside and moving as the body was intended and breathing the air and getting sunlight and all these vital things uh, that are part of nature are going to help us express our genes in their strongest and most powerful, positive ways possible. Megan, an interesting side story on that is I had a family member diagnosed with kidney cancer a number of years ago. And one of the key recommendations the oncologist gave her was to exercise. Interesting. He said that beyond a shadow of a doubt, the research shows that one of the best things for preventing cancer is exercise. And the way that works is 
when we exercise, we release all these chemicals that speak to our genes and they turn on anti-inflammatory genes. They turn off inflammatory genes. They, they speak to and massage our immune system and activate all of our cells that keep our immune system in check, our natural killer cells, our T cells, and tune everything up. So part of that too is to consider our environment. So the environment in which we live will affect our genetic expression. So one very basic example, you and I are in my office recording this and we are sitting at my desk that also transforms into a stand-up desk because humans were not supposed to sit all day. Our bodies, our organs weren't built to be that way. And so they sort of joke, you know, in the health field that sitting is the new smoking. So getting that movement in the environment in which you spend your time is going to be really important. The environment in which you live, avoiding pollutants, avoiding chemicals in our personal care products. So personal care products contain in them things that are known human carcinogens, probable or known endocrine disruptors. They have all these known effects on the systems of our body, which basically translates to mean they affect the way our genes express themselves. And then further to that environment, we look at our cleaning products. So all of these things, these chemicals we're bringing into our home, and we've talked a lot about healthy homes like you know, flame retardants in beds and clothing and plastics and toys. Plastics and toys is actually a really big one. I don't know if we've touched on this yet, but bisphenol A and the endocrine disrupting properties in pesticides. So pesticides can have xenoestrogen effect. So all these things are mimicking estrogens in the body. And what we're seeing is kids going through puberty earlier. We're seeing boys developing breast buds. And all of this is related to how chemicals in our environment are affecting our genetic expression. And another big one is the chemical exposure in our food supply, but also in, you touched on pharmaceuticals when you talked about Accutane, but there's chemicals in all kinds of medical interventions. And so when we start injecting ourselves or intaking things that contain aluminum, mercury, other types of heavy metals, those too are going to affect our genetic expression. They may not be the absolute cause of a condition or of a disease, but all of these things combined contribute to the way our genes express themselves. And that directly is part of the building of degenerative disease or of health in the body. It takes thousands of years for our genes to actually change. Right. So we're seeing a massive increase in chronic disease over the past hundred years, but the gene hasn't changed. It's really just the expression, which I think is the point we're trying to drive home here. Now, a great example of this is looking at the model of breast cancer, which is a very common cancer that women get. Men get it too, but it's the most, the second most common for women, I believe. Well, men are getting it more and more frequently. And that's part of that xenoestrogen, that synthetic hormone disrupting thing we talked about earlier. Right, yeah. And so understanding how this affects us over time and how it's really skyrocketed over the past hundred years, a good model to look at is breast cancer, which is the second most common cancer amongst women. Men also get it. But with women, I think a lot of women are scared about it. They see a lot of information on it. There's that pink ribbon everywhere. Uh, so it's in our consciousness quite a bit. But if we look at the history, in the 1940s, if women had the BRCA gene, which is the gene that makes you have higher risk for getting breast cancer. This is the gene that Angelina Jolie made famous. Right. Basically. Yeah, that, that 
motivates women to get double mastectomies. Preventative double mastectomies. Yeah, even before they, they have cancer. 20, you have a 24% increased risk of getting breast cancer. That was before 1940. Exactly. 24% increased risk. Exactly. So you had an increased risk if you had the gene. But we see now in 2013, if you're looking at that same gene and the risk, it's up to 85%. So over that, what is it, 70-year spread, there hasn't been a change in the human genome. No, there's been but, a dramatic change in our environment. And how that gene is expressed with the increase in toxins, the degradation of our soils and our food and everything we're talking about, the lack of exercise and all these factors that increase the prevalence of these types of diseases. We're going to take a quick break here so that you can meet the inspiring Karen Yorski. Prior to enrolling in the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, Karen had extensive training in various areas of health and wellness. She was looking for something that could pull it all together, and that's what our certification offered. Here is Karen to share a bit more about what she's been up to since graduating. Hi there. My name is Karen Yorski. I am a registered holistic nutritionist, certified personal trainer, yoga instructor, fascial stretch therapist, and proud to say that I am also a culinary nutrition expert. I graduated from the program in 2017, and this program really helped fill in the gap for me after attending nutrition school. In nutrition school, I learned a lot about the body, I learned a lot about nutrition, but ironically, I didn't learn enough about food. So when I came across the CNE program, I knew it was going to be the perfect fit for me. The practical application, the recipes, the tools, the learning modules, and the community support was exactly what I needed to help fill in the gap from what I learned in nutrition school and how to put it into practical application to better support my clients. It has been amazing. Since graduating the program, I have started teaching my own workshops. They are sell out almost every single month. I have a different theme. They're always gluten and dairy-free vegetarian recipes. And it's been such a fun process to introduce this style of eating to a whole new community of people who are curious about plant-based eating and interested to take better care of their health. And nothing really had the big impact to shift my lifestyle in a way that felt good. It wasn't until going through the process with CNE and being forced to cook differently, to cook regularly, and to cook with new ingredients that I hadn't tried before, and being open-minded. From the second that I started the program and I was eating my homework, which is so fun, I never gave a second thought about calories, about fat content, about you know worrying about my weight. There was so much confidence in knowing that I was eating healthy, wholesome food and it happened to taste amazing. That was such a big turnaround for me, for my life. And that's what I want to bring forward for my clients and what has stirred uh, the creativity behind the Chaos to Calm method that I've created. So thank you, Megan, to you and your team for creating this program. It has been amazing. I will always support it. And I'm happy to be a graduate from CNE. I love that Karen is offering her monthly classes and workshops. She also has some great online programs as well. You can learn more at yaworskiwellness.com. We also have direct links on our website at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just choose this episode. 
If you find yourself in a similar position as Karen with prior nutrition training, but no clear path on how to apply it, well, then perhaps the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program is the right next step for you. Visit culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. And be sure to join our next program information session where I will guide you through all of the course details and answer any questions you may have. You can save your seat at culinarynutrition.com forward slash info session. Now let's get back to today's episode. So just just to recap on that, because I think this really makes clear how epigenetics or lifestyle, diet, environment, and chemical exposure can affect the expression of our genes, where before 1940, if you had the BRCA gene, it was a 24% increased risk. And 2013, 73 years later, was an 85% increased risk. And between that time, there was a massive amount of chemicals introduced into our everyday living consumer products, plastics, were introduced after World War II became very prevalent. And those plastics are surrounding our food packaging. They're holding our toothpaste. They're in our shower curtain. They're in our clothing. And we know that plastics are an endocrine disruptor. We've had a massive increase in pesticides in our foods, the introduction of genetically modif- genetic modification in our foods, and the chemicals that support genetic modification, dramatic increase in pharmaceutical medication use. So that all is part of that equation. And the BRCA gene is just one example of our increased risk being affected by directly by our environment. Let's look at an example. A woman goes into their doctor. They know something's wrong. They get the test done. The doctor says you have breast cancer. And they say, why me? Right. Now, the doctor, for the most part, is not going to go into all the details we're talking about. One, they don't have the time. Two, they probably don't even understand it fully. And three, that isn't their focus. Their focus is now disease management. That's their job. Their job at that point is to save your life however they know how to. And they're really good at it. But the scary part for the woman that goes into the doctor and gets that diagnosis is they keep on asking that question, why me? And there's even situations where someone who is diagnosed has the BRCA gene and other people in their family get tested for it too. And they never get breast cancer. And they're asking the question, why did I get it? And why didn't they get it? You know, I'll give you another example, which is a little bit more ridiculous, but a lot more simple is say my father smoked. Okay. And my father's father smoked. Right. And they both got lung cancer. Right. And then someone said to me, Hey, both of both your father and your grandfather got lung cancer. I think you're going to get lung cancer too. Well, what am I going to say? Well, I don't smoke. So why would I get lung cancer? Why would I worry? Right? And that we recognize is a pretty black and white cause and effect. Yes. Uh, but when we look at these more complex illnesses with multiple factors playing into it, it becomes a little bit more abstract and hard for the layperson to understand. Right. And a lot of the factors are really outside the individual's control too, in many cases. Absolutely. Now, I mentioned earlier these things called single nucleotide polymorphisms, which are these genetic mutations. And I want to just dive into a few specific ones so we can understand how we can actually turn on and turn off genes and how we influence our genes. So one gene, which is called the BCMO gene, helps us convert beta carotene to vitamin A. If you have a mutation in that gene, you're not that good at converting the beta carotene that you find in plant foods like to vitamin A. Like carrots and kale. Like carrots and kale, exactly. 
So for you, it's going to be wise to consume some forms of straight up vitamin A, which you can only get from animal foods. So that's one example. Another example of a genetic mutation people can have is the vitamin D receptor, where vitamin D, it's not just about getting it to a certain level in your blood, but your cells have to read that vitamin D. And for some people who have mutations, they're not going to be as good at that. So they're really going to want to be vigilant in making sure their vitamin D levels are in the optimal range. Another really interesting factor is when we look at detoxification in the body. And that these are all, again, governed by genes. And that one individual next to another individual, they could have a 1,000 fold difference in how they detoxify a certain chemical. So we sort of have this, right, Megan? Like when we walk into a building and there's mold in there, what happens to you? I can smell it immediately and I need to leave because mold can trigger an aura migraine is the first symptom I get. I also will notice it first and foremost, before you, if there's a fragrance in the air, if there, basically anything, I can smell it and I will react to it in various ways. I could get a little patch of eczema. I could get a headache. I get dizzy. I just notice these things and I react and I have physical responses to them. Right. So that's an exposure to the exact same toxin that Megan and I might be experiencing, but we're processing it different in the body. And that's therefore going to have downstream genetic different effects in our body. You know, another gene, ApoA2 gene, is tells us how we process saturated fat. So people with a mutation in that gene have more trouble processing saturated fat, and that could lead to other consequences like weight gain and issues there. And, you know, there's been a huge surgence in consuming high amounts of saturated fat with the ketogenic diet and the paleo diet. So again, it's going to be right for some people and not so right for other people, depending on their genes. So looking at all of this, like the BCMO, which it was a SNP where someone doesn't convert beta carotene into vitamin A or the vitamin D receptor where someone cells can't actually use the vitamin D they're taking in. That's how we start to look at very clearly how, for example, if we just take the BCMO, the beta carotene vitamin A, two people, then the exact same plant rich vegan diet, one might thrive, one might develop symptoms of vitamin A deficiency and not understand why. They're like, I'm eating the exact same diet as this other person, but it's these SNPs that you may not be aware of that can actually affect how you metabolize the nutrients, whether it's from the sunshine or from the food that you're eating. And it also explains why there is no one optimal diet for every human on the planet. Absolutely. Now, for many people who have read your book, or understand your story. They know you had Crohn's disease, which is partly why you got into this field. But which is did, 100% how I got yeah. into the field. Did any doctors ever say to you, oh, it's genetic, you got to live with it for the rest of your life? Yeah, so here's what, what happened. And if you want the full story, listen to our autoimmune episode, season episode four of season one. But what actually happened was that I was diagnosed with Crohn's in the summer of 2000 and six. And yes, it's a genetic disease. And we know that there's other members of my family that also have been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel diseases. So it is genetic. And then I went through a healing protocol where I basically through diet and lifestyle changed the expression of my genes so that I no longer had the symptoms of this genetic disease. 
my genes were not expressing that disease anymore. If I were to go to a doctor today and they run all the tests, there'd be no signs or symptoms of this disease in my body. But because conventional medicine says there's no cure, I'm believed to still be in remission. But now, just oh, to interrupt you yeah. quickly, but if we looked at your genes, right, so we, we might did. actually, yeah. We did look at my genes. We had the 23andMe test done. And in that test, it showed that I had a 10 times increased probability of having Crohn's or colitis. So then why don't you have it today? Because of epigenetics. But here's what's interesting is that because I did what I was told was impossible or what is not believed to be possible in that I healed or dare I say cured this disease, when I would go back to doctors, they would say I was misdiagnosed. And I actually started to doubt it. I'm like, maybe I was. But then when you see, you know, I had my genetics tested. We wanted to see different SNPs. We wanted to learn about this, that I actually had that 10 times increased probability. It's that we truly can change the expression of our genes through diet, lifestyle, and mindset. Stress is one of these things that we didn't really get into, but stress will also impact how your genes express themselves. If I had a penny for every time I heard that story where people went back, they were cured and and it was, you know, attributed to a misdiagnosis. Yeah. I might have a dollar. A <laughs> hundred times, a hundred times. So it's just, and, and my story is just one example, but it's an example of, of a person, me being diagnosed with an incurable disease that is genetic and effectively being able to turn off the switches of disease and turn on the switches to promote health. Now, did I need to get the genetic testing done to know this? Well, Josh and I like to get these tests done because for us, it's a good time. <laughs> let's 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 crack open a bottle of biodynamic wine on a Friday night and look at our 23andMe results. <laughs> <laughs> but so Josh, is it is it worth getting all this genetic testing done? Do we need to know our SNPs? Do we need to know all this information? Yes and no. I think at this point, we're still learning so much about it, but there are definitely some important things we can extrapolate from those results and incorporate into our life to change the decisions that we're making. So, you know, one great example is is my own results where I discovered I had an ApoE4 mutation, which puts you at higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. I'm still doing and living the lifestyle I need to live to prevent neurodegenerative diseases, but it puts a little bit more attention in my mental health. We also know that people who have the ApoE4 gene have a little bit more trouble bringing in the DHA that's found in fish oil. So I was taking fish oil for quite a while and I still do, but in fish and in krill, there's a form of the DHA that's a lot more readily transported into the brain for people with that gene. So it helps me to fine tune a little bit. You know, as we mentioned the BCMO gene before, again, if you discover you have that gene or a mutation and you're a vegan, you're going to maybe want to consider getting some vitamin A from other sources, right? For some animal sources. But I think a lot of people think that the genetic testing is like the holy grail. Right? Mm-hmm. They, they think they're going to get it back. It's going to answer all their health issues. It's going to give them all the answers. Tell them what to eat. Tell them what to do. Tell them how to exercise. And unfortunately, that's not the case. It's what you call, like, it's sexy to get your genes tested. You like to use exactly. that word because yeah. it's like fancy and you get this whole document. But most people have no clue what it, what most of it means or what to do with it. Right. So we have our genetic material and it's like a book, as I mentioned earlier. And we can read different pages out of that book. 
So with Megan and her example with Crohn's, at one point, all the decisions she was making in her life through diet, lifestyle, and other were leading her to read the pages of disease, the disease chapter, let's say. But there was other chapters in that book that were all about health and wellness and low inflammation. And through those decisions, they educated the cells to say, hey, you know, we want to close up that chapter and we want to read other chapters in the genetic makeup and turn on some of those other genes. We want to close up to the disease chapters and read the health chapters. Right. So here's what's really important. And here's what I really want to drive home and what I think I have been since I started doing this over a decade ago and something, you know, the reason why Josh and I do what we do is the idea of why wait? Like why wait for your genetic testing to tell you what the weakest link is? Why wait for a diagnosis to be like, okay, now I need to start eating well. It's like when, when people will, will contact Josh and be like, oh, I really need to come see you. I really need to come see you. And then they end up in the hospital and then it's urgent. It's like, let's do this now. What if you know already, just by looking at your family, your relatives, you know what those weakest links are. So why wait for the diagnosis to make the changes you know really need to come today? Make it prevention instead of disease reversal, because prevention has so much leeway and so much power and so much abundance, and there's no fear with it. And that is really powerful. So for me now, 12, 13, almost four, oh my gosh, almost 14 years after my diagnosis, I haven't gone back and started reading those disease pages again. I just keep discovering new health chapters in that same book, learning about more and more ways that I can continue to, especially as I get older, where I can continue to working on maintaining, and some days it's working on getting to optimal health, that we don't necessarily need all the information, that disease naming, the diagnosis to know what we need to do. Most of us know today, and that's really at the root of everything Josh and I do. Right. When you got your genetic results and saw that you were 10 times more increased risk of getting Crohn's, you didn't look at it and say, oh my God, this is going to change everything. No, because you were already doing everything you needed to do in order to keep that disease under control. Yeah. I basically gave myself a high five and did a backflip. And was like, I am defying the sentence of my genes. Right. That, that I, I, it's not, it's not a life sentence. Exactly. To wrap this all up, the bottom line here, which I hope we've driven home, is that you are in control of your genes and you're in control of your destiny. And you have the power to influence through genetic expression how your health is from now until the end of your life. Yes, there's a lot of factors and a lot of influences we have no control over, but we do have control over the majority of them. So if we can make those changes for the better with the things that we do have authority over, so a lot of the factors that influence our health, we can't control. However, the good news is there are more that we can than we can't. So our diet choices, our lifestyle choices, our state of mind, the things we bring into our home from furnishings, clothing, personal care products, toys, all that stuff, we can choose those things. That's a luxury, a rare luxury that few people in the world actually have. And so we should make the most and take advantage of the factors we can influence to, like Josh said, 
have a little bit of a say in the destiny of our genetic expression. Now, the next time someone says to you, I can't control it, it's my genes, you have an answer. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, there's more. Head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast and choose this episode for access to additional resources. You are in control of how your genes express themselves. So why not do all you can? Your genes are not your destiny. If you're feeling inspired and want more, join us for the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. We only offer the program once a year and space is limited. Learn more at culinarynutrition.com forward slash program and be sure to save your seat in our next program information session at culinarynutrition.com forward slash info session. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends, especially those ones that say, it's all in my genes. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.